Love this podcast? Consider supporting this show. You decide how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Visit the link in the episode description to support now. media agency proudly presenting Camp Punksylvania, Pennsylvania's first and only DIY punk rock summer camp, September 1st through 3rd in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Come camp with us for three nights of non-stop punk rock all weekend long, with over 40 bands and tons of activities. Tickets on sale now at camppunksylvania.com. That's camp, P-U-N-K-S-Y-L-V-A-N-I-A.com. See you there! You're listening to Headliners, the show featuring the best and brightest of music from all over the world. Please welcome your host, Greg Howard Jr. On this episode of Headliners, I am joined by Davey from Not. Their new single, Settle Down, from the album Stop the World is out now, and you can get your hands on Stop the World on Friday. Hello, sir. Greg, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, so tell me about uh, Settle Down and Stop the World. Uh, well, Settle Down uh this the single that we've that we've just dropped uh that is just an it's an album track from stop the world um it is definitely a tale of uh well i i, I turned 40 recently so i consider myself I, I guess i've i've joined the middle age club people keep saying to me they're like you're 40 you're not middle-aged and i'm like well <laughs> I don't know. I think the kind of average life expectancy is kind of 80 years old. And uh, go that puts me right smack bang in the middle, man. Uh, and anyway, I think something that's come with 40, you have a lot of realisations and kind of you definitely look back over your life and things like that. And uh, Settle Down, the song, is definitely a tale of the one that got away. And I've lived about the past 15 years in Southern California. I'm originally, as you can probably tell by the way I speak, uh, I was originally from England. I was uh, from the second city to London, which is Birmingham, England. Um, I was born in a, in a town just on the edge of Birmingham. And um, that's where I spent my youth. And the song is kind of looking back over my uh, my, my adolescence and my my first love, really, who I'm still friends with, um, you know, and it's it's a it's a song about kind of uh, growing up and just realizing, just looking back on your life and how how our we're still friends, but our, our lives went in different directions, you know, and you 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 always think about well, you always think about what ifs, right? So that's that's what that song is about. So tell me uh, if you could collaborate with any musician, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, <laughs> I think uh, 
Man, there's so many, so many. I mean, we, we're talking about not, right? And this project, this band is definitely, we all have so many different influences and we all grew up on so much different music. But this band, you know, we the, the one thing that we all have in common in not, when we all met, is that we we all had a special place in our hearts for all and descendants. Um, so I think since we're talking about not and this band right now, I kind of have to go, I, I, you know, this this project is such an homage to that kind of style that it kind of has to be those guys to co collaborate. You know, Bill Stevenson runs the Blasting Room and he's obviously, or for anyone that doesn't know, he's, you know, he was he was the drummer in Black Flag, but he was the uh, the 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 driving force really behind descendants and all and one of the one of the key, they were all songwriters but i think bill was kind of one of the, the key songwriters really um and also a, a great producer of so many like punk bands of our generation um so to go and to go and work with bill at the blasting room is probably you know if we're talking about not that kind of has to be the one um Brendan and Jared from not their other band, Mercy Music, they they they're just dropping their new album soon, and they went to the Blasting Room and worked with Bill for that. Oh wow! Um, so they've already ticked that off the list. Um, <laughs> and I'm also a producer engineer, and I, I had a spot several years ago now, but I I assisted Bill um, in the studio when he was recording the No Effects self-entitled record. So I wasn't like an assistant engineer to Bill. So I've been, a, I know Bill and I've been around Bill in, in the studio. So I, I guess we've all kind of ticked that off, off the list, so to speak, in, in, the, in the sense that we've worked with Bill. Um, Brendan and Jared's band Mercy Music have opened for Descendants as well. And my other band Sharp Shark, we've opened for Descendants as well. So I guess in, a, in many senses, we have worked together, but just not, I don't know. Bill hasn't produced a not record. This is our first album. So um, that that would definitely be a dream, I think, to have him um, put his stamp on it. So describe uh, Settle Down using only one word. Nostalgic, I think. I think, nice. yeah, I think it has to be. Like I say, it's it's a song about um, thinking about, thinking about if you'd made different choices in, in your life um, or, you know, an ex- partner an old uh, former love who you were once like extremely close with and emotionally entwined with and they've gone and kind of done the the marriage and kids thing and you haven't or I haven't <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's definitely a nostalgic it's kind of looking back on like you know what if I'd done this what if they'd done that and you know um so yeah n nostalgic has got to be the one so who who is an artist that if they popped into the zoom right now and said, Davey, I've got to have not open for me on tour. Who, who are you guys dropping everything for? <laughs> Again, it, it has to be descendants or, or, you know, this is, we make no bones about this. So, you know, we've, we've, for anyone that kind of doesn't know, um, we, we've all got, other bands and this project was definitely you know we, we we're a massive fan of Descendants and all but we also love you know 
those guys had their label owned and operated like in the kind of late 90s. And there was a lot of bands, I feel like bands like Big Drill Car and um, Chemical People and all, all these types of bands that like Bill and Stefan were producing and working with and a lot of bands that were kind of um, tipping the hat. But the idea with Not, we were just kind of like, let's, it was almost a joke, you know? It was like, let's write a, original, original music, like the, the chords, the lyrics and the and the and the vocal melodies like all this every song it's an original song it's it's a hundred percent as but some of the you know should we say the musicianship some the way that the drums are played the way that the bass is played the way that the guitar is played is definitely like going in this descendants or direction and we almost as a joke wanted to be like let's just for fun and nothing else just try and you know pay tribute the like try and be the best tribute that ever was you know a lot of these bands have like tipped their hat to this style but let's just see if we can take it overboard you know let's go for all like completely go for all in this regard um so so that's what we did um so again i just think when talking about this project it's it's so it's so heavily in that vein that i think the dream just has to be you know we 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 made this record kind of in sort of dedication to that those bands and that sound. So we're dropping every, everything for those bands. It would actually be, it might be a bit ridiculous, I don't know, for us to open <laughs> all the Descendants. I mean, all rarely play. Um, but like I said, we all know those guys. So we sent them the record and I was actually a little bit scared because, I, because we are friends with them. And I really didn't know. I was like, this... This could bum them out. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know, do you? And um, they all loved it, man. Bill was blown away by it. Bill was asking us a lot of questions about it. He was really stoked and flattered by it, said that we nailed it. He was like, man, no, no one's done it this heavily before. This is awesome. You know, Stefan and his wife, Natalie, loved it. Um, Bill's son, Miles, Bill's wife, Stacy, like they've all talked about it and all enjoyed it, man. So it's, it's really, really great to have got the blessing um, of those people. But yeah, it, it might be it might be ridiculous for for us to open for all our descendants in that we probably just sound like a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all you know. One thing I always come back to is that music for any of the haters out there. I, I, I've said like I don't, I don't know. This could be. This could be the lamest tribute ever, or it could be the greatest tribute ever, and it's and it just it's kind of both. It's just wh whichever way you want to look at it, man. And yeah. if you love all as much as we do, we did this because we just we just want to hear more all records, you know. So that's that's why we did it. We just tried to write songs that we want to hear, and music should be should be nothing but fun ultimately when it comes down to it. So it's just we're we're not saying that we're reinventing the wheel. We're not saying that we're original. We're we're definitely paying tribute to him, man. But if you're a fan of that sound, then hopefully you'll appreciate us. So if we if we did open a bill for those guys, um, hopefully people could enjoy it with us, you know. <laughs> if uh, you could change one thing about the music industry, what would it be? Uh, that is a brilliant question. Um, I have a lot of qualms with the music industry these days. Um I'm going to sound like a jaded, grumpy old man here, <laughs> but I'll just I'll just be completely honest. I think there is an inherent problem 
with the music industry and kind of the punk scene at the moment. Um, everyone's just trying to, f- oh, the, the money's dried up, right? There is no real money in music. Physical records don't sell. We've also gone through a couple of really difficult years where live music went away. Um, and I don't know. I, I think I think I, I think about this all the time. But things have changed. I think I think the loss of the Warp Tour. I think the Warp Tour stopping has had a bigger effect on the state of punk than people realise or will ever give it credit for. But bands used to be able to, you know. Late 90s, early 2000s, all, all this time, a band, first of all, there was, it, was a, it was a hip style of music at the time, right? Bands could sign to major labels and get all this money. And I know that those times have changed. And it, this thing isn't so much about money. I'm not just complaining about money here. But bands could go on things like the Warp Tour and... Bands had a shot at playing to all these people all across America. And you, you just had a good shot at, like, you go on Warp Tour, you'd build a fan base, and that would be the start of your career. And I feel like Warp Tour disappearing has just changed a lot. And I don't know for a punk band these days how you make any form of a dent. And I see, I just see bands, I see festival lineups. You know, you've got your your rancids, your no effects, your bad religions, your descendants, your offsprings. Um, you know, these handful of of the big bands from back in the nineties that are playing these festivals that you get now, these punk festivals, and they're always the headline. And the bands in the middle are always the same kind of bands in the middle, and the opening bands are, st- are still often the opening bands, and they're people like there's a show. Friday night, I'm going to, in, here in LA, there is uh, the Atari reunion, Save Ferris, Sam I Am, and Bad Cop, Bad Cop opening. Now, I produced quite a lot of, I've worked on all the Bad Cop, Bad Cop records, because I'm a producer engineer as well, do studio work, have my own studio. And um, and I'm like, I'm kind of looking at that lineup, and I'm like, Bad Cop have been, They've been touring so hard and killing it for like 10 years plus. And I'm like, they're opening this show, like still. And it's difficult. And this isn't, I don't, and this is where I believe this isn't a diss on Bad Cop. Well, there's a lot of these bands, my own band, Sharp Shark, we're kind of forever, we're perpetually an opening band to these bigger bands. Maybe bands like The Last Gang. Or the bump ups I see a lot of the you know more the kind of signings of the fat rec signings and the, and the punk bands of the last 10 years sorry this is becoming a long-winded answer <laughs> I don't know if I'm hitting the nail on the head or getting to the point but they're not elevating and I feel that's the problem with the music industry and the punk scene today um we've had the explosion that already happened and the, and the top tier of the explosion are always the top tier and if you form a punk band today or in the last 10 years, unless you're the Interrupters, that's the one exception that I see where the Interrupters, are they've kind of exploded and they've really done it in the past 10, 15 years. But I think the way it was in the 90s and early 2000s is that 50 or 100 bands would have done it 
done what the interrupters did at that time. But now it's just for the interrupters. And a lot of the other bands seem to kind of struggle along. And I think, and I understand that, maybe the explosion isn't as big anymore. People aren't as invested in punk. It's, it's maybe a little more for the older generation or the middle-aged generation. But I do think the inherent problem, getting back to that, the problem of the music industry is that I think it's up to the industry to, to change that. And I was thinking, well, if punk is really about not having a hierarchy and us all being equal and equality, right? I was like, why isn't there a festival where, why can't no effects go on at 12 noon and then Bad Cop, Bad Cop go on at one? And then at two o'clock, we have Descendants. And then at three o'clock, we have The Last Gang and blah, blah, blah. And we have like a bigger, older band followed by a smaller, newer band and a bigger, older band followed by a smaller, newer band. Because if, if, though, if, if the old explosion bands are going to pull, because they do pull, it's like, well, why do we have to wait for the evening to have the big bands? What if we staggered it and there was always a... There was just as big a crowd throughout the entire festival. And I don't know if that's anything, that's not necessarily a new idea because Warp Tour embraced a little bit of that, you know? But yeah, I think I think that's the problem. There is too much of a hierarchy in the music industry and the punk side of the music industry in California and America. Um, the other thing is, I, I think we could be a bit more, this might be a little bit communist here, um, and I'm not trying to get too hard into the politics of that, but I think the the guarantees for bands could be shared out a little more. The headliner always gets paid a whole lot more. And the opening bands, like I say, some of these opening bands, they still struggle, man. They've maybe been going for years and they might they might open a show and get $200 for a show. And when you've got four people in the band and you've got someone helping selling merch and maybe someone helping drive or whatever, that's four, five, six people, $200, a, a, you know, a cut goes to the booking agent as well. You're going to get taxed as well. And to play, just because you're on stage for half an hour doesn't mean, you know, you're working for the entire day. You're working days before because you're rehearsing and you're booking things and you're making merch and doing stuff like that. And sorry, that's become a really long-winded answer, <laughs> but I'm passionate about that. I think there is... I think I think the music industry is pretty fucked these days, man. It's pretty fucked. And punk should be doing things. We're punk for a reason. We should be doing things to to work these problems out a little more. I think if if money, I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I think opening bands, I think they deserve probably a little uh, more money. I don't know. Maybe there's not enough money at the shows. Maybe there aren't enough people attending. I don't, I don't know how to solve the problem, but um, bands struggle. And it's very real. That rant over, rant over, Greg. <laughs> no, no, that's like that was a fantastic answer. Um, to your point about uh warp tour, one of one of the really cool things I think about warp tour is that people who weren't necessarily punk fans were like, I'm gonna go to warp tour. Like, like for for me, I you know. Before I went to Warp Tour, I wasn't like a, a quote punk fan. And then I went to Warp Tour with a friend of mine, and like it opened me up to all these bands that I had never heard of. And I was like, okay, yes, I'm hooked. Let's do this. I'm I'm down for it. And you know, it's it's not 
there's nothing really to to expose people who aren't necessarily already in the punk scene to what's happening if that makes sense it was bringing in new people and new fans yeah i mean i think that's the that's honestly i think that's the most difficult part of being a new band um you know, I think about it all the time because, you know, we, we've not, with this project we're doing right now, and this record, we have a, a few small labels involved and we all, we, okay, and Wiretap is an awesome label and they have a publicist um, on board, so we get to do things like this podcast or interviews and stuff like that. Um, but aside from that, I still go, well, how, that's the big question of any band if you, if if you're a band, you want to get your music heard by new people. So that's always a big thing. It's like if I have my following on social media and it's not a big following and we've all got our own followings, so we can post all day long till the cows come home, you know what I mean? Like we're like and it's not it's not always hitting new people. You're hitting the same old people with with this information. So yeah, I'd agree that I think Warp Tour, I think it it had to have brought it was such a big day out. And if pe- people went because there was three bands on the bill that they really wanted to see, but then there was a hundred others that they got to see, yeah. you know? So I think it absolutely solved that problem of like, how do we move the needle? How do we, how do we get our music heard by new people? And I believe the only other way is going out on tour, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's, it's difficult for all new bands. And I think Warp Tour was that platform of like, you could be a brand new band. And if, People like Kevin Lyman believed in you. You'd be on the tour and out there, you know, just playing to all these people that otherwise wouldn't have heard your band, you know. Yeah. And my old, old band, Beat Union, we, we did the whole Warp Tour 2008, and it was unbelievable, man. It was a dream come true. So it's a great tour. It was. And I, I've got a feeling it'll come back as well. Yeah. Most of time. Most things kind of do, didn't it? and maybe I don't know if it will be permanent or anything, but or if it will just be one off like like these festival shows, or whether it'd actually be the whole tour. I don't know, but I'd imagine at some point, or there's this whole wave of like, is it the when we were young fest and stuff like that? Like things are yeah. starting to move around. I I go, man, it'd, it'd be great to have another warp tour. So speaking speaking of touring, I what's the venue you'd kill to play? I'm actually really really lucky. In that I've done a lot of done a lot of touring over the years, and and all none of my bands. I've been in a few different bands now, and none of them have had huge like mainstream success or anything. But we've always been part. I don't know exactly why, but like I was saying, this kind of the the music industry side of punk, where you know there's managers and booking agents, and I should explain, I I come from a very DIY side of punk in the UK, growing up in the UK. It was more about putting on DIY shows in the back room of a pub. That's a lot of what punk was in the UK when I was growing up in the 90s. We didn't have the Vans Warped Tour. We didn't have an Epitaph or a Fat Records or a Kung Fu Record, these labels in America. You know, UK was, was operating on a way more DIY level, I think. So that's what that's what I come from. But to have been thrust into kind of the California scene with my bands and, you know, like I say, I've been lucky enough to maybe not have huge commercial success or anything, but I've had managers and booking agents and kind of opened, you know, kind of perpetually been this this 
opener of bigger bands. So I've got to play. I've been very, very lucky to play to big crowds um, at legendary venues. You know, I've played Coachella. Um, I've played uh, the Download Festival in the UK, which was the old Donington Monsters of Rock Festival main stage. And that was, you know, that was a huge bucket list thing. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about Red Rocks and I've played there. We opened oh, an old band of mine opened for Flog and Molly. Um, so I've managed to do a lot. The one that I still wish I'd done, I never have. I don't know if I ever will, who knows, but the Reading Festival in the UK. Like I grew up going to that festival. And so it's not exactly a venue or a brick and mortar venue, you know, but as a legendary festival that I grew up going to, that was always bucket list for me. I want to do Reading. And at one point, I also, I actually said I was, I was, I was going to Reading a lot and I was like, I'm never going to go to Reading again until I play it. The next time <laughs> I go to Reading is when I'm going to be playing it. And it never, it never happened. And the next thing you know, I'm living in California, living and working in California. And so it's, I really don't even get the chance to go to Reading anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting uh, that you, that you said Red Rocks because, um, the most popular answer for most American musicians that have been on this show is I want to play Red Rocks. I want to play Red Rocks. And then on the flip really? side of that, um, all of the musicians from the UK that I've had on this show have said they want to play Reading. So you just you just gave both of the most popular answers in one. <laughs> that's great. That's funny. That's interesting. Well, I am actually I have citizenship now. So I am. I am a dual citizen. I'm oh nice. I'm British and I'm American. So I gave you know I gave the English <laughs> answer right there. <laughs> what do you think is uh, your worst habit during the songwriting process? Yeah, that is a good question, man. Um, I tend to be. I don't know. I think I um. I, I try and write pretty fast. The key is not my, my worst habit. I think is that I can get stuck on the idea the thing is write an idea fast and if it doesn't all come together quickly i think the key is to record it you know spend 5 10 15 minutes with it if it's not going anywhere record it walk away keep your your songwriting to the especially like the older we get where it's like i i record bands I play live music. I do some live sound as well. So I'm always kind of, I'm juggling a lot in my life. Um, and then I'm performing as well. So it's like, I do, I do have to compartmentalize like writing time with, you know, oh, well, I have to listen to someone else's demos today. And I've got to rehearse for this show in two days time today. So I, I can't just like write all day long. It's usually just doing little bits of everything. So I think if I, if I have an idea and it's not going too far within 10, 15 minutes, record it and walk away and come back to it. But sometimes I can get too kind of just stuck in that, like trying to force it and maybe sitting around with this idea for like an hour. Or the next thing I know, an hour's passed or an hour and a half. And I'm like, man, I'm not getting anything done. Like walk the fuck away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the best songs usually I find, I, I think that's why I end up probably sitting around for an hour trying to see where it goes is because I do have moments where the best songs kind of, they just work and they flow. And 
they're kind of written in like half an hour. So maybe it's like I'm just sitting around going, yeah, but maybe this will, you know, if I sit around for another half an hour or an hour, maybe this will come to me. But it <laughs> describe uh knots music using colors and shapes. Oh wow. <laughs> uh colors and shapes. It sounds like a Foo Fighters record, doesn't it? <laughs> um uh well I think it has to be extremely colorful because there's a lot going on the bass and the guitar everything's very busy and frantic you know and i feel like the the artwork to our album is very colorful so it's got to be all color colors of the rainbow it's got to be extremely colorful um it's got to be everything thrown in there uh going for all you know the the complete and utter excess so every color's in there uh as for shapes <laughs> i don't know um it would have to be very uh very very smooth but wobbly lines i think or something circular or curvy because there's just so much there's so much going on man and everything's flowing into the next thing everything's flowing around each other you know the bass is weaving in and out of the guitars constantly and you know so I have to go there. It just has to be the complete and utter excess. What is a song off the new album uh, that you feel like would be perfect for a film soundtrack? I mean, they all a, a lot of this. This whole project, I think, is very much it's it's a it's a space to exercise um, and vent emotion, the emotional side of life and heartbreak and the, and the romantic side of life and relationships and stuff like that. Generally speaking, not, not, not all the songs are on that level, but I think a lot. Um, it's definitely the kind of love song or heartbreak song aesthetic. So a song like Settle Down, which is our most recent single, you know, is going to be that. I mean, that's just going to be a, <laughs> that's 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 just a song for a, a rom-com, <laughs> you know, and I'm a bit when it comes down to it, man, I'm, I'm a I'm a romantic at heart and a very, very emo person, I think. And I love I love romantic films or rom-coms. Um, I love The Notebook. Don't think there's too many. I don't think there's too many men that say that, and that's a that's a that's a that's a sad thing. But the Notebook is a beautiful film, man. Super emo. Love that film. Um, so yeah, set, Settle Down would be a rom com soundtrack for sure. So uh, this next question is kind of a choose your own adventure type thing. I, I've got three of the most cliche questions that all musicians get asked in interviews. Um, and I'll let you pick the one that you would like to answer in uh, this instance. So your choices are, who are your influences? What got you started in music? Or what is your creative process like? I think I'll go with the creative process. Perfect. That question. Because the I feel like I've answered a lot in like how I got my start in music. That If, if, if anyone's listening that knows me or follows me as a musician, they, they might have heard a bit of that stuff before. But my creative process, I think I'm, I'm always, it's, it's a funny thing, man. If, I think if you're a songwriter, I'm just in love 
and obsessed with that creative 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 process and always searching for the next song it's kind of constant it's like a I don't know if it's like an, an addiction or an obsession or I'm just like in love with that process or but I just love the format the um of, of the kind of three minute pop song you know what I mean and so I'm always going I'll just like live my life and I'll work and see friends and go through all the life stuff that we all do but there's always this thing in the back of my mind going what's the next chorus what's the next song about I'm always kind of searching for that inspiration and wondering and I think about stuff all the time or someone will say something or I'll have a conversation with someone about something or an event will happen in my life and I'll process these things and go well that could be a song title or that could be a good lyric for a song that could be a subject matter because I think ultimately every song for me the, the creative process starts at what is the song about because I think you've you've only got so many chords but there's like infinite vocal melodies and there's infinite lyrics and things to say and ways to say them so that's the part for me that's the, the creative thing that I'm looking for is that I've only got so many chords but what's really what's the song going to be about? That the older I get, that's just everything. That that dis, that makes that distinguishes one f- song from the next because I could write a million songs in the key of G major, but they could be about completely different things, or the vocal melodies could be different. Um, so I'm always I'm always trying to get. That's where my inspiration usually starts. Twenty percent of the time, I might write a guitar riff, and that might spark things. But usually, it comes from I want to sing the lyric first. I come from the kind of Beatles, Noel Gallagher, Nirvana school of songwriting, I think, or maybe Green Day Dookie. You know, those things were kind of big influences on me where I think it's very focused. The songwriting is very focused and it's vocal led. You know, the vocal melody and the lyric really is the song and it's just kind of power chords in the background. That's that's where I come from when it comes to writing. So I'm always looking for the for the subject matter and the theme. Um, once I have that, then I'm usually going to sit down with an acoustic guitar, start an acoustic and throw some chords around it and try and find a melody. Um, and because because I believe that if a song is great, if if the if the melodies and the lyrics are doing the talking and the chords in the background complement it. And a song is great on an acoustic guitar. It has to be good like that first. It has to be stripped down and already be a good song that people can hear the melody that's catchy. They can hear the lyric that makes them feel something. I think that's a that's a big criteria for me is that like the, the melody has to be catchy. There has to be a hook and the lyric has to be something that I can relate to or feel something from. Um, the lyric, so I think the lyric has to connect with the human experience. Um, once you've got the kind of great song on an acoustic guitar, I will I will tend to walk away from ideas a bit or generally kind of write maybe the verse chorus together or like the bulk of a song in one. But then I'll just record it on my phone and walk away from it and then maybe come back to it a couple of days later. Um, hopefully I can remember it. That's the other thing that I usually say is if I can't remember it without recording it, 
it's a funny thing. I record everything, right? But only the good ones I shouldn't have to record. So it's like if I don't remember it a few days later, how good can it be? Uh, but then I'll go back and listen to it. And hopefully with a slightly clearer mind, having stood back from it, I can maybe listen to some of my voice notes on my phone and be like, oh, man, that one's awesome. That one's kind of lame. And then maybe I'll go back and finish the awesome one. Um, and just with a bit more hindsight and stepping back, I might have a clearer picture of exactly, you know, oh, this bit went on a little too long. I'll chuck this out. I'll add this bit here. Um, and then it will be demo it, you know, put it, put it, go, take it into the studio, find a, find a tempo, um, click track for it, work out, does that tempo need to push or pull? Does the chorus need to slow down a few BPM or speed up a few BPM, things like that? Um, and then start tracking it, um, which is usually the drums first. And then it's like, I usually have quite a clear vision of like how the kick and snare patterns are going to emphasize and drive the song and work with the vocal um and then it's usually guitars next for something like a nut song this is like a you know a punk song or a, a, a heavy guitar based rock song i think the guitars will go next um and then bass and then of course you're trying to always trying to work out how those fit and work off each other um and then vocals after that but it all starts with the, I think, the the basic pre-production of like, does a song work acoustically? And if if it's good like that, then it's going to be even better once you've added the whistles and bells, you know. Hello there. I... I want to take a moment to talk to you about Dear Dean Magazine from Dear Dean Publishing, my favorite subscription-only monthly digital magazine. It's got subscriber-generated content about politics, pop culture, travel, family, pets, and poetry and wellness articles and features, contributor articles from nationally recognized journalists, writers, and artists, and provides opportunities for novice writers and authors and other contributors. To share their voice, talents, and words. Did I mention that it's completely free? Dear Dean Magazine provides free advert space for small creators, authors, and podcasters, fulfilling its vision that some art should always be free. It's owned and operated by Myron J. Clifton and is designed and distributed by Katya J. Lerner at Buzzword Consulting. Visit deardean.com slash subscribe to get signed up. Do you consider yourself an artist or an entertainer? <laughs> I think I have to be a little bit of both. I don't think it's one or the other. I probably, I probably lean more towards the artist side because I'm sometimes a bit too principled for things. You know, I definitely have my principles, or I, I come from punk, so I can be a little bit cynical of. Um, well, I, I don't know. One one thing that springs to mind these days is that, like, you know, ev everyone talks now in the music industry about 
social media numbers. And when you start a new project, which is you know what we've done with Not, it's a brand new thing. People go, oh, get, you got to get your social media numbers up. And I just don't care because it's like we live in this world now where, again, like managers and booking agents and the quote unquote industry is so obsessed with these numbers and everyone's fucking numbers are fake. Like people are, you know, people are going around getting getting fake ads or, you know, you can aren't the butts and things these days to like up your numbers or you can pay people to up your numbers. And it's just like. I see, you know, you see accounts that have like 50,000 followers, but they post a photo and they're only going to get 100 likes. And I just go, the, all these numbers, I mean, not not all the time, but some of them I'm just like, it's bullshit. And, and every label now will talk about numbers. No one will take a chance. No one will go, I believe that this music is incredible and it does not matter that that there's no numbers yet. I believe that this music is special and I want to champion this and take it as far as it can go. There aren't many people in the music industry like that anymore. They're all just going, oh, well, this is cool, but what are the numbers like? And it's like the numbers that creates their final decision. Anyway, the point that I'm making is that I'm a little, I'm probably verge on the side of the being an artist because I'm a bit principled in, in that kind of stuff where the older I get, I want to spend my time creating. I don't want to spend my time twiddling my thumbs on a phone, trying to get, trying to up my numbers. It was like, and I know you need to get your, your music out to people. And I know that that ultimately that's what people are doing. They're just getting their music heard by people or spreading their name. So I understand that that is work and maybe that is part of being an artist, but I'm, I just, I for me, being an artist is about creating, and I don't, I don't care if the number is one or one million. Um, I just want it to be organic, you know. So I'm probably quite a principled artist on on that side of things. And and if I really was, if I was more of an entertainer, then I would probably go and play in cover bands, you know, and do and do whatever it was to just entertain people. But I'm, I think I'm definitely married to creating my own thing and it doesn't matter if if the whole world likes it or not i just have to i have to write my own songs for me and my own catharsis and mental health and stuff like that so yeah talking through it now i'm, I'm probably definitely <laughs> a, an idealistic artist more than i am an entertainer what do you think is the biggest misconception about musicians <sighs> I think the uh, the kind of rock star myth that people our age at least have grown up with because we saw the kind of 70s and 80s and 90s excess of the music industry. I think there's a bit of a stigma and a stereotype about what a musician is. And I think that's often... There's the... I think it's that you're people don't really understand the work ethic and the drive that goes into playing a show or going on tour, the reality of it. People often think that I think the whole, uh, you know, the idea of the, of the quote unquote band guy, you know, just, just doing it to get girls, you know, to hit on 
women or go on tour and it's like oh man they probably you know they got different different girls every night and this kind of thing at least in my experience like it's just not true man it's such a slug and it's such a work it's such a driven thing you know especially in the the kind of I think that I think the thing that Black Flag paved for us all is different to when you've got real fame and popularity when you've got when you've got loads of people working around you and you are a legitimate quote-unquote kind of rock star then maybe people are just like you know hanging out with different people every night and got a new different partner every night and um just doing the party and drugs and all this maybe that stuff does go on but in my world and most of my friends worlds again it comes to back, back to what we were talking about earlier it's like you're getting shit money like your records aren't selling there's no money coming in there you're doing everything you can you know to get time off from your job or juggle your your kind of day job life to go on tour for a month um to get in a van and drive for hours on end um you know you maybe you you can't afford to pay a driver or a merch person so you're like your whole band is like you've got three or four members in the band, but one of them's dealing with all the merch stuff and setting up merch before sound check. Someone else is kind of you're all kind of playing roadie and carrying your own your own gear. Someone else is kind of tour managing and handling getting paid those like you know two hundred dollars that you're getting paid that night. Um, but all four of you have got to eat during the day and you've got to plan where you're staying that night and how long the drive is to the next show and and all this stuff and you know and when you get a flat tire on the road so you've got to pay for that and um yeah there's there's so much going on and of course all the pre-production for the tour you know if you've got a tour then you've got to spend again you've got to spend time on your phone every day promoting it you've got to rehearse you've got to pay a rehearsal room to rehearse and you know the fee from the tour doesn't really pay for all that it's it has to be a number one priority in your life and you have to be super dedicated. And I think people just think it's easy. Um, but musicians are extremely, uh, probably self-obsessed as well. There's probably a little bit of that n- narcissistic thing that goes with being an artist and that you just have to be, have to be looking out for number one a little bit because it's, it's your dream and it's your baby. And you just, you have to, it's like every day is a slug of like, what what can I do today? to push my music a little bit further, you know, and then, and then you've got to write songs and you've got to get studio time and it's a whole slog, man. And people, people think it's just a party and it is not, it is anything but. Tell me about uh, the moment in your career that you're most proud of. There's been a lot of big ones for me. I'll name a few and I'll be quick about it because I can't really narrow it down too much, but a, a couple of big ones. Uh, I've been an assistant engineer in the studio with the Foo Fighters and with Green Day. Um, And for me, I don't know if there's much, I mean, okay, I wasn't producing their records, but I've been in the studio with them and worked for them. Um, And I often kind of think, I'm like, man, for for a lad from Birmingham, England, that got a break in Southern California, that's kind of the ceiling, you know, that I've, rubbed shoulders and worked with or you know alongside those bands where I go like man that's kind of the those are two of the biggest bands in the world like that's I can't really get much b- 
bigger than that aside from like being the producer of those records you know but like everyone <laughs> wants that gig um so yeah that that's pretty epic for me you know hearing being a couple of feet away from from billy from green day singing and hearing that voice and going that that's the voice of dookie that made me one of the okay i picked up a guitar before dookie but it was still a massive influence on me and i go like now i'm hearing that voice like right in front of me you know that's that was definitely um that was definitely a just a trip out of a moment um another one that i'm really proud of is um just just signing a record deal when you talk about how things are very difficult within punk music these days the fact that i had a band in my early 20s that signed to a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. It was a short-lived subsidiary of Warner Brothers and it ended up closing down and that's how my band kind of broke up and we lost the record deal, but I stayed in California. Um, but that initial thing, the, the fact that I played music at a time when, you know, big corporations were still kind of throwing some money at, at that kind of guitar music, um, you know, like a band like Nut, we're not getting that type of money or those types of opportunities thrown at us. But for a kid in his early 20s that that got, managed to get that opportunity, a lot of it was luck. Um, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of that because it changed my life. Um, we had, you know, a manager, agent, producer, label, all this stuff in Southern California, in LA and Orange County. And it, it, allowed me to kind of tour the world and end up living my life in Southern California. And now here I am as a dual citizen, I'm, I'm American and British and I still have a life here. And that was a pretty incredible moment in time. That's, that's just affected everything after, you know, and I'm, I'm still here. So I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And like I say, a lot of it is luck and timing and placement. So I don't know if it, is it even, should I be proud of it when a lot of it was luck and just the industry at the time and what was hip within music at the time? Um, but still, I'm proud of it. Yes, it was, yes you should. <laughs> well, thank you. It was just, it was a cool moment in my life and it's it was the the spark that just changed, that changed my life. So it's just, whether it's pride or not, it's just, it's just a big, it was a big moment for me in my life and it still affects me to this day. So yeah, got to mention that. If you could start your career over from the minute that you picked up a guitar, would you do anything differently? That's, a, that's another great question, man. It's so difficult to say, isn't it? Because who knows? Who knows? I could say these things to, to maybe, look, I'll be honest with you. I've had, there was, there was a moment in my life where I, I had, um, I've actually had a couple of brushes with Epitaph Records and they didn't work out. But there was one moment when I was offered a deal with Epitaph. There was actually two moments and I turned them both down. Lots of reasons that I won't go into. But the one, the one of them was the right choice. When I turned it down the first time, it was the right choice. The second time, I, that was literally, it's a day, especially when I talk about turning 40, feeling middle-aged or whatever, having having a, a, a good chunk of life to look back on, that's a decision that I look back on and go, what if? That's another one of those moments. What if I'd signed to Epitaph Records? Would that have 
been different. And this was with a band called Swadehead after the band that had already brought me to America. So it wouldn't have changed that tra trajectory. I was already in America. And I do think that that band probably should have signed to Epitaph. That's the way I go. But so I would have maybe done that differently. Sometimes wonder. Um, but shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? As for when I started, um, I could have worked harder. I, wor I worked pretty hard as a kid. I was obsessed early on, started playing guitar at 11, started writing songs around age 12, 13. Um, but I definitely did my time, you know, hanging out with friends, smoking weed, listening to music, which was all inspiration. You know, I was obsessed with music, buying music, record collecting, going to shows, which is all inspiration for doing it, isn't it? But as you get older, you realize how short life is and that you could have just like, you know, there were hours of the day spent in front of the TV and I could have been writing songs or, you know, I sometimes think I was very faithful to my bands in my teenage years. But I was in a band, I was in that band. And I often go, I should have, I should have held on to more lottery tickets. I should have been in five bands. You know, why not be in five bands in a slightly different style? But or why did I have to be so all or nothing and committed to the one? Because that might have upped my chances, you know, of just touring more or, you know, you're sending demos out everywhere for this one band. And I'm like, if, well, if I had five different demos of all these different songs and different styles that I was, I was writing, I could have upped my chances maybe. But then maybe it wouldn't have happened if I'd been spreading myself too thin and not putting as much effort into the to the one thing so again it's it's difficult you know if you if i changed any of it but i do think in terms of commercial success i'd maybe be i'd maybe have made more money if i'd worked a little harder in in my youth maybe and got a break quicker or just tried harder um and maybe if i said yes to that epitaph deal maybe my my band Swadehead would have, I don't know, maybe we would have become more popular. I don't, maybe it would have affected my life more profoundly. Who knows? Well, Davey, thank you uh, so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to talk to me about the new single, the new album, you, the music, all of it. I have I have enjoyed this uh, so much. Um, tell the folks listening at home and all over the world where they can get their hands on uh, the new single and the new album. So, it, I mean, it'll be everywhere digitally. Um, Stop the World is the album. You probably know the release date better than me. I'm terrible with numbers. <laughs> I can't remember a number. Um, but it's coming out very soon. It's going to be everywhere digitally. Um, if you're a vinyl collector, then Wiretap Records have uh have vinyl in america but i believe that's sold out so <laughs> that's uh that's that's not much help is it um in the uk and europe uh brass neck records have pressed the vinyl and in japan water slide records have pressed the vinyl um so there are some physical copies um it's purple colored vinyl um but yeah otherwise get on the old spotify that's where we'll be and uh, where can they uh, track you down on social media if they want to keep up with all the all the goings on? So not is at the band not T H E B A N D N O T. 
me personally, my Instagram is at Davy Boy Warsop, D A V E Y B O Y W A R S O P. So you can follow me there. Thanks for listening to Headliners. We'll be back next week with an all new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For more information about the show, visit us at www.yourlifethemicstate.com. Headliners is a Spring Break 83 production in association with Rodwarton Productions. All rights and trademarks reserved. <laughs>